Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Extra Inch. My name is Wendy, and I'm joined this time by, once again, my tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hi, mate. And we have another very special guest. We've got Tiago, and oh my god, I apologise in advance, Esteval. Hello, Tiago. Hi. That was good. Oh, was that good? Okay, I passed the test. That's the first test pass. That's good news. Before I introduce Tiago properly, as you may have heard in our previous episodes, we've got ourselves a sponsor for the next couple of months. And it's a sponsor chosen specifically as it could be of interest to our listeners. So we're working with OneFootball, which is a football app. It's available on the App Store and Google Play. And they've currently got an article about whether Christian Eriksen and Delhi will be rested against Crystal Palace this weekend. At the risk of this discussion becoming very quickly dated, let's have a quick chat about those two players and what they offer us and how we can cover their skill sets now that we know a little bit more about how the likes of Lucas, Lamella and Harry Winks look this season. Nathan, have you got any thoughts about how we can manage when they're not in the side? Uh, so managing without Ericsson has been a huge, huge issue for us, um, basically the entire time we've had him. Um, fortunately, he's a cyborg and he plays most <laughs> games. Um, I think that finally this season... Um, missing Ericsson for a game here or a game there is not the total catastrophe that it has been in the past. Um, I think the fact that Lamella is, is playing so well at the moment, I know we're going to talk about him later, and the general depth of quality we have in that area, and also Delhi stepping up creatively, um, sort of in that department for him, to sort of balance the task a little more. Um, obviously missing both of them at the same time, that's still going to be a, a bit of an ask. And we have missed them a couple of times already this season. Um, and we've struggled. But yeah, because we've got some more depth in, in attacking midfield and, and, and especially in creativity generally, um, it's not the end of the world that it once was. And I guess the, the heartening thing was that against Wolves, we managed without them and and still got through the game, which we'll, we'll talk about shortly. But let's talk about Thiago. Uh, Thiago, if you don't know him, is a performance analyst for Goal Point Pro. He's also an under-15 coach and a podcaster. Thiago, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, about Goal Point and how you got into this? And also, fascinatingly, about your role with Braga this season. Hey, so, uh, <laughs> some of the listeners may, may or may not know me from Twitter for being on the internet too much, uh, but... I used to work in as a as an analyst as just writing much like Nathan does often. Um I work with now I work as a performance analyst at Goalpoint, which is a consultancy company, pretty much. Um we work with data but I do I do the work that I previously used to do in terms of um my regular articles, so I work I still work with with video and mix it with data and to give a proper interpretation of of the game of what I think of the game, and um, yeah, so we work with clubs in terms of recruitment, in terms of match analysis, and Braga this season is the club that we're most involved in, or at least publicly speaking. And um, yeah, I, we work me and and the people that work with me, we work with them in terms of recruitment. Uh, let that be finding targets or evaluating names that come at us. And um, then we work together in terms of match analysis. Let that be their own team's match analysis, like post-game, or, and also like uh, opposition analysis, mainly. 
uh, I do a lot of work in that. So yeah, that that's been our role this season. It's been going well. It's a partnership that that's been going pretty well. We have a strong connection with the people there, and we feel like they understand the benefits of our presence and that they value it, and that's great. Are we able to talk about how many people are involved in this setup? I mean, so how, like, as in how how many would the club use, for example? So. As in, term, in terms of a company, we're obviously a Portuguese company that doesn't have the reach that certain other companies of the same realm do, right? Uh, so we're obviously smaller. We have a couple of people, me and a couple of people working in terms of the actual final part of analysis and more specific uh, recruitment and match analysis stuff. And then we have people on the background working on things like data and visuals and things like that that are kind of the basis for what we do, really. So, yeah, it's not a huge group of people, but uh, it's pretty well divided in terms of what everyone does and what everyone's role is. And is this pretty much, from your perspective, the norm now in terms of football clubs outsourcing this kind of analysis to to companies like... um, goal point I mean who, who do the work for them and, and then feed back in it, it depends really I think for the scenario we have here it's it ends up being ideal but like if you're if you're looking at a Premier League scenario you're you're going to be looking at teams that do have in-house data analysts and multiple of them and a huge team of them that are awesome at what they do and that they can focus on the team like 24-7 and work with the scouting department and all of that but here here and in many other places that are not as developed as the Premier League in terms of how they look at the game, these types of companies definitely benefit the situation because we can work with teams that have a more traditional scouting department and we can like complement what they do, which is pretty much what they, what we do at Braga. And uh, I would I would tell you that m- most teams here don't do this kind of work. I think we're definitely on on the forefront in terms of our league, at least. And I think that shows also. But, yeah, I think these types of companies or these types of services definitely end up benefiting teams that can't afford to have an in-house data analyst or multiple of them or can't afford or can't understand the benefits of just out of the blue hiring someone to work with data when they don't even have a data provider, let's say, you know. So... This is definitely a middle step that can benefit a lot of coaching staffs, a lot of teams. And yeah, for you got to contextualize it, having an account that like we're not looking at a Premier League club that do have all of this and more within their within their house, per se, within their team. Uh, but for this context, I think it's probably the ideal middle step for now in terms of modernizing how teams work. I think it's so fascinating and, and Braga are performing really well this year. They're, they're joint top in the league. Um, maybe there's something in that. Maybe there's, you know, you, I, I, obviously you, you're probably biased, so you would say there definitely is something in it. But if other clubs aren't achieving the same thing and, and aren't using data in the same way, then perhaps it shows that there, there are advantages and and, uh, and gains to be made there. Um, it, just from the perspective of someone who might want to get involved in this kind of career, could you give a little bit of information about your background and how you ended up getting into this? So, okay, uh, I've always been into football, much like all of us, I think. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've I eventually started writing about football 
and started writing about football specifically in English because I'm comfortable with the language and thought I could get myself like uh, more noticed for some reason. It kind of worked, I guess. So I can't complain too much, but you know. And uh, yeah, my the the way I used to write initially was just kind of my interpretation of the game. So probably bad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I had to to take a stab at it, um, but eventually. From being around social media and Twitter and all that, I discovered analytics. I discovered people that work on this stuff. And then I tried to, quote unquote, specialize myself in it. I tried to look into it more, tried working more and more with it. Uh, figured out that not many people here are doing anything with analytics work. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of uh, personal learning. I don't know if that's the expression, but you know, you, you get what I'm saying. I yeah. didn't take many courses with it. I'm finishing university in communication sciences, so it doesn't have anything to do with football, just uh, so nothing on that front. I've, if anything, my connection to football was more uh, like coaching related. Like I, when I was 16, I was, uh, I was coaching already, like coaching uh, young kids and stuff. So my connection was a lot more in terms of practicing and less so in terms of coming from a data background or from a mathematics background, because I don't come from that at all. And then within data, after getting myself comfortable within the topic, I started taking some, like, smaller courses in the, sub in the subject and going to every sort of meeting I could go and stuff like that. But I can't tell you that I've, I'm coming from a data background or from uh, I took this or that in university because that, that didn't happen. Um, and if anything, then I, I've noticed that within data analysis or performance analysis or whatever you want to call it, I can perform a role of like intermediary between looking at data and more traditional people that look just at video and trying to explain the benefits of one to the other because I come from the uh, eye test, quote unquote, background per se. You know, I don't come from a pure numbers-based world. Like I don't create metrics, but I can use them properly to analyze and I can explain to you the benefits of them, even if you're someone that's been in the game for a long time and that has a very specific traditional way of looking at things, you know? So that's that's kind of been my frame of, my frame of work always, really. That's so fascinating. It sounds to me as though, I, I, I feel like you're being quite modest, but it sounds as though you've got like a really good all-round skill set which benefits the, the role you're performing, which is, you know, you, you're, you're, you're not a trained data analyst, but you've become a data analyst, analyst through, through practice. You're, uh, you are a trained coach, so you understand the, the basics of, of coaching and, and the tactical elements of football but then you're also a fan of football and you're you know you've watched football for many years so you want you have an understanding of the game so and clearly you're a good communicator we know that because you we've heard you on podcasts um we've we've read your writing um so you kind of have this kind of mixed skill set which makes you it's it's a, it's a perfect storm for, yeah for, i think i think for, i mean without trying to Okay, I think you complimented me too much there. But either way, I think I do think that having a broad skill set is beneficial and I tried to go for that to a certain extent because again, like I can do most things in terms of analysis. I I write, I all that and I can can pass down information which is key really. I can sure. pass down information with well enough or quite well, I I'd say. And I think in a world where 
you're getting more and more people involved that come from a pure numbers data background that don't have as much involvement within the game. I do think you need people that to perform like this middle term role of like figuring out how to translate one thing from to the other and vice versa and to connect everyone on board. I think like there's benefits to most very specific skill sets, but being able to kind of jump around and try to fit everyone in into this uh, string of connectivity per se, I think that's that's very important. That's amazing, and I think um, there's there's no there's, there's, it's no accident that we've got you on around the time that Spurs played Wolves because of course Wolves have a Portuguese coach and you're Portuguese and we want to speak to you about um, you know Espirito Santo, but let's talk a little bit first about the the match itself. And um, Nathan, I'll get your thoughts on 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 the match first. It was a it was a fascinating match for uh, so many reasons, but tactically. A really interesting, interesting battle, and there was a lot of focus on both sets of fullbacks. What did you make of the game generally, Nath? Uh I feel like the, the so I didn't watch the game at the time. Um, well, I, I sort of tried to half watch it very drunk on my phone and came away with no memory of it other than the two penalties. Um, so I sort of went back to watch it, having sort of looked at what people were saying on Twitter. And what people were saying on Twitter was that Spurs were really good in the first half and then really bad in the second half, what happened? And I don't really agree with with that premise because I felt that both teams were quite poor throughout. Um, and as you pointed out, the main focus, the main benefit for Spurs is that we did a really good job of pinning their wing backs for most of the game, um, which is something I wrote about beforehand, the importance of doing that because they, they really focus their possession through their, through their wing backs. Everything they do is about stretching the opposition as wide as possible all the time with the two wing backs. Um, so yeah, I, I felt we did a good job at, at sort of hitting the main tactical point with Wolves. Um, but I also felt that generally we were very poor in midfield. Um, that's not surprising because Moussa Dembele went off sort of down within the first minute um, and we had a midfield two of, of, of Winks and Sissoko, which, you know, both those players have their, their benefits and everything, but as a, as a midfield pairing, you're obviously going to have issues there. Um, I'm not entirely sure why or how Wolves managed to sort of switch things in sort of the final few, or the final 20 minutes or so. I've got an idea. Um, Okay, so uh, go on. How did they enable their wing backs at the end there? Morgan Gibbs White, literally, oh, okay. literally bringing on Gibbs White. Um, don't get me wrong, Wolves have a terrific midfield. Neves and Matinho are, are both really great players, um, good all rounders, I would say. They kind of do everything well. Um, but they, when they brought on Gibbs White, they suddenly had an expansive, creative passer who was willing to take more risks. And he did that, and his passing um, enabled the forwards to make to make runs, which pushed our defence back, which created space in turn for their fullbacks to push forward. And that was, in my opinion, the turning point of the game. Um, and, and I think Gibbs White is a fantastic, fantastic prospect. He's eighteen. He's he's part of the two thousand group. He's part of the England under seventeen squad that was so successful. In, uh, Spurs have a couple of players in that squad too. So Timothy T.J. Ayoma and uh, and Tashin Oakley Booth are, are part of that that age group as well. So it's it's kind of seen as a a golden group in a way. But Gibbs White is a really impressive impressive young player. Um, interested to hear your thoughts on Winks and Sissoko there because I thought defensively they both had a bit of a nightmare yeah. and you know it would be typical of me to to absolve Harry Winks of responsibility and say it's because he was playing alongside Sissoko 
I do actually think there's a bit of that because Sissoko just constantly vacated the central midfield area. But neither of them produced a single tackle in the in the 90 minutes. Neither of them produced a single interception. Uh, there wasn't a lot going on in terms of combativeness or, or even just holding position and soaking pressure up. Winks was better on the ball, clearly. He's, he is better on the ball, but um, neither came out with much credit, I, th- I thought, from, from that game. Spurs were at their best when they were countering, and we were roof- we were ruthless when we had our chances, that's for sure. And there was definitely some positive points. But Wolves did expose some of our weaknesses in that last 25 minutes, so let's talk a little about that. Um, Tiago, presumably you saw the game. What, what did you make of Juan Foyt, our, our centre-back, making his Premier League debut? I actually didn't know much about Foyth, uh, but I was, I was impressed, especially on the ball. I think he had a couple of moments. I, I was texting Nathan about this the other day. Like he had, he had like one vertical pass that burns like one or two lines that I was really impressed about. And he's definitely someone I'm curious to look into. Um, I can tell you right now that I'm not, um, unlike Nico, was, who was on the pod last week, I'm not overly impressed by Davinson Sanchez. And um, <laughs> so I'm definitely curious to see if I like Foyth more <laughs> uh, about the game in general. While, while we were talking about um, the lack of defensive actions from the midfield too, not only did Winks and uh, Sissoko not produce like a single tackle, Winks was dribbled five times, which is remarkable, even against Wolves, who have pretty much an entire cavalry of dribblers. Um, that's problematic in a in a central area, and uh, I thought it was really interesting that um, after Youngmin Son came in, Lucas Moura stayed central and Lamella stayed wide. I thought Lamella would move into the into the center and have Lucas on one channel and and Son on the other, but it ended up being Lucas on like supporting Kane. I think that's. It has its negatives, but mostly like to break down pat defensive like it, pat defenses, his dribbles even through short spaces are really beneficial through the center, and he connected the game well enough to to be beneficial. I think I thought I just thought that was interesting because I wasn't expecting it. And Lamella was really effective in that wide role. I mean, his 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 goal was really quite special, actually. Um... It's the kind of goal that doesn't look anything, and then when you watch it back a couple of times, you realise how much he has to do there to, to score that goal. It was really impressive, and he is truly back to his creative best now. He's putting in regular, consistent performances where he is basically the creative hub of the team, and he's making things happen with his first-time passes and his reverse passes. Um, Nathan, how important is is Lamella for Spurs right now? Well, as we sort of touched on earlier with, with Ericsson and Delhi missing games, he's he's huge. I do think that this was his his maybe his best game um, so far this season because, like I said before, I thought we were really poor. I thought we struggled to deal with Wolves' pressure. We we didn't make the ball arrive in the final third well, um, but fortunately, when we did get it there, Lamella's um, his movement. Um, his pace of play, his 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 passing w- carried us to to a couple of goals, really. Yeah, I totally agree. He um he, he without him, I don't think we'd have won this match. Uh, quite frankly, um, I'm interested to talk about Foyth and the penalties and and those situations, but I'm going to talk about them in context because something quite interesting happened after the match. Every week, or every every Spurs game, uh, a couple of our journalists who cover Spurs, Ben Pearce and Alistair Gold, the two the two best journalists 
Yeah, I went there, Dan. I went there. Uh, they they produce match ratings um, post game. They produce articles which rate all the players, and they give you know a paragraph to explain their ratings. And they both got savaged on Twitter for their ratings in this game. Um, they gave Trippier five and six respectively. So Ben five, Alistair six, and they gave Juan Foy four and five respectively. Um, I wanted to talk about what you thought generally about the, the value that, that match ratings offer to fans uh, and whether you like marking players out of 10. And if so, how, how would you base your ratings? Nathan, let's start with you. <laughs> um, I'm not a big <coughs> fan of the... <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the, the, <clears throat> the post-match rating. Um, I think there's a lot of issues. Um, at first, that it's hard to keep track of eleven players over ninety mm. minutes, and yeah. also you're writing your on the whistle report, and you're writing your five things you may have missed, and you're writing your you know whatever else. Um, so I think it's asking an awful lot of journalists. I think um, most. I want to be careful what I'm saying here because I don't want to be too rude. Um, I think most traditional journalists are not equipped to assess players that well. Uh, you know. Obviously, they can assess it on the level of a fan who can um, uh, do what I'm doing, not do what I'm failing to do now, which is uh, express their words well. <laughs> um, but I think that that's all of these issues are sort of considered and continue through anyway, because it's it's when um, Ben and Alice to say, well, fourth gave away two penalties, therefore he had a four out of ten game, and then the fan base sort of get back at them is when all of the, the content gets a lot of shares um, and and there's lots of engagement and lots of clicks. So that's coming from the editors and it's maybe even coming from high from that in that it's not about being correct. It's about sort of um, galvanizing Twitter. So essentially that is my problem with them. And I don't I don't place that blame at all on, on Alistair or Ben because like I said, they're asked to give these ratings and they've got an awful lot going on while they're trying to write their match report. So... Um, I don't blame them at all. I just like ratings generally. And and just to make it clear that the point of this discussion isn't to to dig out Ben or Alistair because those guys no. do amazing work covering Spurs. Absolutely, mate. We're so lucky to have them covering. And and you know, I was being ironic earlier. We're lucky to have them and Dan Kilpatrick all covering Spurs because they yeah. generally all write such uh, with such balance and um, dexterity. Actually, they 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 all write really well about Spurs, and they don't shy away from from being negative when when it's needed, as as can be seen from these ratings. Um, Tiago, have you got anything to add on what Nathan said there? Would you generally agree? Yeah, I mean, I think Nathan was. A bit harsh on traditional journalists, but he's somewhat right. But I also think that even for us, that I can, even for me, that I consider myself someone that can evaluate a player, it's really rough to ask me, for you to ask me like post match ratings if I'm just using my eyes, right? I think it's just too much. It's 22 players or 11 players. Did, did they just give notes to the sports players or did they? Or just is it the Yeah, okay. just the Spurs players. So it's a, it's eleven players. It's still a lot of people. It's a lot of actions. You're often only looking at the ball instead of looking at the entire game. You value whatever you value, and whatever next journalist is going to value whatever his life and values brought him as 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 beneficial for a game. So it's very inconsistent, and I don't see much of a point in it, especially if if it's coming from a. a like from a journalist instead of 
a machine, quote unquote, that that, that collects stats. And even even when the case is player ratings from stats, like stats stat based, like stat accumulation player ratings, you need to before using it, like be for whatever you want, um, you need to figure out what kind of stats are going into the player ratings, what is being valued, what is being devalued. And um so even those well although more precise because well yeah uh, although more precise uh, they're definitely not without their flaws and um you need to figure out much like in any in any other aggregator of stats per se you need to figure out what is being valued what kind of stats are in the in the mix and then you kind of only use it as an initial ranking of sorts and not for much else not to give final conclusions per se like sure. we have we at go point we do have like a player rating like post game player rating from stats and like i find it more beneficial compared to other uh websites that do have uh, similar things simply because we use more stats the way it's contextualized i think it makes more sense to the way i see the game uh it doesn't count on things like if if someone scores the entire team doesn't go up because i don't think that makes much sense things like that are corrected in hours but i still don't use it as any final anything i just can look through it in terms of having a ranking of sorts but then to give any thought any sort of comment or final thought i need to look into in actually look into the games and actually look into their their stats and not just their rating right so it it, it doesn't benefit much but it's good for social media <laughs> much like Nathan yeah. said <clears throat> sorry it creates discussion if nothing else and in this case it certainly did because I think the the general feeling was that Juan Foyth had 65 really positive minutes and then within that last 25 he made two naive challenges I personally felt the second penalty was was really soft I mean he's running alongside he has a little stumble he puts an arm across whether that arm is enough to take someone to the ground I, I don't I don't know. Um, he shouldn't have done it, of course. Um, he was he was naive, like I said. But I think had another player had that been Jan Vertonghen easing someone out of possession, I, I don't think the referee would have given it. Um, and the first one, I mean, Trippier tries to nutmeg a guy first, and I just want to put my head in my hands at that moment. Mm-hmm. Not only tried to nutmeg a guy, but nutmeg him going back towards his own goal. So he's then going to have to clear on his left foot. It just none of it made any sense. Um, but then Foyth, in, in a kind of attempt to make up for that error, rashly goes to make a challenge when actually Jimenez is, is going away from goal and, and that challenge doesn't need to be made. So, yeah, two errors from Foyth and they kind of um, they undermined what was otherwise a really positive performance. And like you mentioned, Thiago, he played a couple of nice balls out from the back. One in particular that you mentioned, I think it was the one that led to Harry Kane's curling shot where he broke through two, two it's lines. One, it's, of, one to, um, it's one to Lucas. Uh, 65th minute, I remember right. because I had to tell I had to tell Nathan because he was asking me the minutes. Right, uh, yeah, okay. it's one it's one to Lucas. He's like in a central position already in the final third. It's a good pass. I, if we can find a gif of it, we'll publish it somewhere. That's it. That's awesome. Um, and and also he's he's really um really strong at dribbling the ball out. He he reminds me an awful lot of John Stones of three four years ago, and I think. With a player like that, you have to persist with them and, and carry on just accepting occasional errors because there's so much upside to having a, a defensive player that can actually play football. And, and Foyth was great. Um, <laughs> I, I, 
I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to say much more about Trippier because we speak about Trippier constantly on here and, and it's all been said already. Let's instead speak about Wolves' manager and their style of play. Thiago, tell us what you know about um, Nuno Espirito Santo. So, Nuno is a, a very interesting character, uh, especially now. Uh, he was here, he, he spent his, pretty much his entire career as a player here, but as just a backup goal. Goalkeeper, I don't really remember him on the pitch. Uh, then he turned coach. He did well at Chihuahua, which is uh, a upper mid-table team here that tends to go to, to Europe. He, he brought them to the Europa League. Uh, he went to Valencia through the influence of, of his agent, George Mendes, and but did well there, even though maybe he wouldn't have gotten the opportunity if he didn't have that agent. But he did he did well enough there. He came back, came to Porto, was a bit more questionable here, but ended up getting, ended up leaving after a season for being second because that's what happens uh, when you're fighting for the title here. And uh, and eventually went to Wolves, and there he became a lot more interesting from a tactical standpoint. He kind of always adapted to a certain extent uh, to the players he had, and while he always wanted to. Have the ball, always wanting to build out to build out of the back, um, and he always made a lot of usage of high fullbacks, and he, he made made sure a lot of the focus of his team's play was on his fullbacks. Uh, I still think he completely reinvented himself and the way he approached the game in in the Championship and in England, and he started using this three back formation he never used before, and he started being a lot more. Interesting in the way that he adapts, but I, I also think that this system it lends itself towards that a lot more. I think with with the three four three, you can do a lot of things. You have a lot of players in beneficial spacings already, and you can adapt to your opponent well enough. Uh, but I think it became a lot more interesting there. He revamped his look as well. I'm not sure that counts. <laughs> and. Um, he also has a, a collection of really, really good players that he's taking the most out of, right? And uh, not only he's doing a really good job of mixing players that we know are really, really solid. Mostly, most of the Portuguese players, or almost all the Portuguese players that he has there, were players that we all thought were really, really good and were almost too good for the championship. But he also picked up players like Connor Cody. Is it Connor? Did yeah. I just? Yeah. Okay. I should have asked. Uh, like, like Cody to become a centre back and to become a really essential part of the piece and team captain, and be keen the way that he play out of the back and keen the way that he sweeps between the two other centre backs. Even Bennett still being a starter, like Gibbs White now. I think from what I've seen this week and if this weekend it, it speaks of his level of quality, then he has a really big future. At, and the fact that they really only have uh, Neves and Moutinho as Almost their only two midfield options. They only have Saiz beyond them. Means that Nuno has a lot of trust in Gibbs White, and he's definitely got to give him minutes. So I think he's doing a lot of interesting work in a lot of fronts. Uh, I think he's using recruitment well. Uh, there's obviously a connection to to George Mendes there, but and while in theory as a club, you, I'm not sure you want to be connected to an agent this much. Uh, but in terms of results, I can't tell you if it's working poorly because it, it's not, right? So it, it's a, a an odd balance, but it's one that they're 
they're doing well enough, I think. And despite losing their last three matches, <coughs> they're still 11th in the table. That's that's really impressive for a newly promoted team. Nathan, what what are your thoughts on Wolves generally? Are, are you impressed with them? I am. I, I was hoping that they would um, sort of have the ball a little more. Um, as sort of they did in the championship, but then obviously if you're if you're one of the top teams, you can have most of the ball, and it, and it is the championship. And um, they've really adapted to a sort of a more defensive game plan, um, which is more about pressing and more about counterattacks, which is still good to see, and it, it's still very nice football, and there's still a lot of um, really exciting passes, um, especially from Neves. Um, yeah, I, I do think that they their game plan against us. Um, was pretty poor. I think they pressed too high, and I think they stretched themselves out way too much. And that if they had sat a little deeper, which they normally do, into their sort of their deep medium block, which is a phrase I keep using on this podcast recently, um, and and just sort of messed messed up the area there, then they they'd probably have shut us out. But there you go. Um, yes, they're 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 really good to watch. Them, or they're pretty good to watch uh, this season. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Okay, let's talk a little bit now about the PSV game because I feel... In, in a similar way, it was another game of fullbacks. Um, and, and Spurs had a lot of work to do early in this game. So we can see it after a minute. Um, and, and that happens, you know, early goals do happen and it changes the game plan. But it, 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 it made life really difficult for Spurs, who suddenly got a bit desperate. Um, but overall, I think it was a really strong, strong performance. And another... On another day, some of those early shots would have gone in. We'd have been maybe, let's say, two one up at half time, and we'd have gone on to win four one. But as it turned out, we required Harry Kane to save us in the last minute of the game um, with a hugely deflected header. Um, Nathan, what did you think of the performance against PSV? Were you, were you as impressed as I was? <laughs> yes and no. I think that there were there were issues within it. Um, I, so I obviously I don't normally. Uh, write about mentality. I prefer to to um, <clears throat> stick to the tangibles. Um, but I feel that it was unavoidable with this game. Uh, when I wrote my uh, preview for the Palace game for twelve, I, I talked a lot about the PSV game because um, I feel that that there was a lot of nuance to um, the mental aspect of this game. In that, um, I think that panic was setting in at the end of both halves of, of the game. I think that that our game plan started to break down. I think we started to lose patience. I think we started to go a little more direct than we wanted to. Um, so in a way, there was sort of a mental shortcoming in that we got, you know, a bit, air quotes, spursy. But also, we stuck with it. We didn't completely collapse. We were stretched and we struggled, um, but we kept at it and we and we got the win in the end. So I, I think that the, it's a really interesting game from a mental perspective. Again, something I don't normally talk about, but unavoidable with this one because... 
Um, it's so hard. It's so hard to concede um, in the first minute from a corner, um, <laughs> an XG of 0.05 or something. Um, and and also, you know, the, the larger context of our Champions League campaign so far, which has been um, torturous this season in that we've played so well. We've played so well in, in every game, really, um, and not got the results. So I, I was impressed with our mentality, basically. And I think we need to talk a little about Harry Winks because having slated him for his performance against Wolves and obviously the knock-on effect of the game against Wolves meant that we were depleted in central midfield again. He essentially played in the middle by himself, as far as I could make make out. Um, he completed the most passes. This is as per Spurs Statman's tweet on, on the night. Um, he completed the most passes, 80 out of 88. He created the most chances, 7. He made the most ball recoveries, 13. He had the joint most tackles, 1, 4 out of 4. And made the second most attacking third passes, 29. Um, I... I I was there, and um, it's it's not just about the things that Winks does on the ball, it's about what he does off the ball. And don't get me wrong, we were caught out a number of times on the counter, and had PSV been a better team, they they might have scored more than just their, their one goal. Um, but Winks was really um, the leading light for me in this performance. Everything started with Winks, uh, who's incredibly creative. He played some really good long balls, uh, which is something we haven't seen quite so much of him since he came back from injury. Uh, I was I was super impressed with Winks. Thiago, what do you make of Harry Winks generally, and and did you notice uh, this performance from him? Yeah, I I mentioned Nathan on a on a post about Winks's numbers, and Nathan's reaction was, yeah, against a team that stops playing midfield like about halfway through or something. Uh, so Nathan, who's Winks's biggest fan, wasn't as impressed as as we were apparently. Uh, but regardless, I, I think it was really good. Um, I was I was impressed by him. I think that I, I said this before the game, but I think that having Ericsson beside him is more beneficial than having Sissoko beside him. Um, it leaves him less exposed somehow. Uh, while while there were still issues, but you know you can't have it all, and there's literally no other option at this point, mm-hmm. right? Other than what skip maybe. Uh, but I'm not quite sure of Skip's characteristics, so I can't really speak on him. But regardless, between Ericsson and Sissoko, I think Ericsson provides a better balance, better passing option continuously. I think Winks on, on the ball especially was really, really impressive. I think he had, like, you're mentioning his long balls, I think he had, like, 10 long balls, most of them accurate. Uh, I can't confirm right now, but I think that was it. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think he had a good game, I think. Most most of the midfield had, had a good game, and I think it ended up being the ideal midfield to break down a team like PSV that ended up scoring in the first minute and then caving in for for the the remaining ninety or the remaining eighty eight. And yet, the way we got the winning goal was a result of I don't know. Kieran Trippier being brought on to cross the ball. Davinson Sanchez being moved up front. Fernando Llorente coming on to, to pack out the box and, and, and make those layoffs. And as Nathan said, we kind of got a little desperate towards the end of the game. And Pochettino was um, was quite interesting post-match. He, he'd taken off Lucas and they were boozed for that substitution. 
And I think it's because people are enjoying Lucas's performance. He made nine, nine dribbles in this in this game. He was beating players for fun, but there was very little in the way of end product from Lucas. He was kind of beating players in areas of the pitch where he perhaps, in my opinion, didn't need to be beaten. He could have made an earlier pass. Um, and so I think that in, in some senses, Pochettino was justified in making that change. Others would argue that Son should have been the one to come off. But regardless, he made that change. Llorente comes on, makes it a, a, a great layoff for, for Kane's for Kane's goal. Um, obviously, then he gives them something else to think about defensively from crosses also. And Pochettino made the co- comment that he was it was previously mentioned that he didn't have a plan B, and perhaps he showed that with this late change with, in, in style, but he does he he has another another option, which is we go more direct. We put crosses in the box. We pack out the box of players that can head the ball. Nathan, you you mentioned that you um, you thought we got a little desperate, but do you think that was the right move to make at, at that point in the game? Well, it definitely worked out, um, and, I, and I do support it. Um, yeah, you mentioned the term Plan B, and, and I feel that often when people sort of are talking of a, pla- a Plan B, they're talking specifically about you know bringing Fernando Llorente on, putting Davison Sanchez up top, and getting Trippier to cross the ball in. And I think that that is um, overrated as a, as a as a means of of seeing a game out. Um, and yet there are times for it, and this was clearly time for it. PSV, you know, for all of their skill, they're an Eredivisie side. Um, they're a young side, although not young as most of that league, um, and that physically we had a huge upper hand on them. So it worked out. Pochino, you know, knows the ability, or, or uh, yeah, knows the, the, the um, strengths that there are to Fernando Llorente and, and, and understands the power of bringing on a target man. Um, and he also knows when the correct time to utilize him is, and this was one of those times. And I think that he showcased that he he, he knows how to use a plan B when the time is right. It's just not often the case. And quite frankly, he's earned our trust. I think and, absolutely. And I, I really did not enjoy um, people booing that change. I, 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 yeah, that's that's not for me. Um, well, sorry, just to jump in. Sure. Why I always say whenever we discuss substitutions on this podcast is that the first, second and third reason that Poch ever takes a player off is because of fitness. So I imagine um, if if Son had played more recently and, and Lucas had rested more recently, then Son would have come off. Um, but his information and, and the information coming from the bench was that Lucas was the most fatigued player. So that's who he brought off. I imagine that was the reason. Uh- I totally agree, and that's that's what I said to to my friend Paul, who who I was watching the game with. I just, just we had to assume that it's a fitness reason. Um, I, I think that's, that's fine. Just just adding on to that, I a reminder that Lucas is by far the the second most used player at Spurs this season, mm, at least in okay. at least in the league. Uh, just behind behind uh, behind Nate, <laughs> no behind <laughs> Kane. <laughs> You're not playing up top yet, mate. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so there's definitely a chance that there was some sort of fatigue there. Sure. Okay, we're going to answer <coughs> some questions. We had uh, we had a whole manner of questions on a whole range of topics, but I'm going to start off with the most pertinent, which is uh, what brand of shampoo does Tiago use to keep that glorious mane silky fresh? And that was from uh, oh god. Help me out with that at, guys. Insonius Carval. Okay. And for those that don't know, we, we mentioned uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, or Tiago did, being um, changing his look. He, he's hair suit in, in one way. Tiago is hair suit in the opposite way, which is he has he has some follicles on him. Wow. And Tiago, we need to know more about your, your hair care routine. 
<laughs> Why is this a thing? <laughs> I, I, I like the fact that we're focusing this all on me when there's another person on this three-man podcast that has long hair as well. At least another person. I don't know. I actually do not know how, what Chris looks like. So Chris <laughs> might as well have long hair too. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I think it's... I definitely have a, the distinctive look, I suppose. Uh, yeah, it... It's okay. I, it's just I just use regular shampoo. I don't know what you want me to say. Nathan, do you have a specific hair product? So I've had long hair for a decade now, and it's only since I dyed it blonde a couple of months ago that I've actually started to put any thought into what shampoo I'm using or what. You should have put I'm thought using. into it before dyeing it blonde. That, you know? <laughs> that's good. Yeah, well done, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, this has gone on longer than I intended, so I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the next question um, from from Mark Lynch. Mark, thank you for for sending questions each week. You are very dedicated, and we really appreciate your support. Um, he says, I remember Nathan's articles in the summer about replacing Dembele. Lamina and Seri were two of the options. I think both clubs seem to be struggling. How are they doing? I mean, I think he means the players. And does this change Nathan's mind as to future viability for us? So. Obviously, um, Jean-Michel Serri is new to the um, Premier League, so there's, a, there's a, obviously there's a period of adapt, adaptation which is expected and, and fair enough. You know, he won't settle straight away. Not only that, he's playing in a really badly organised Fulham team. Um, Lamina is now in second. Is it second season for Southampton? Um, I would say he's been less prominent than Thiobier this year so far. But Nathan, are you still are you still big on Lamina and Serri? I have watched very little Southampton this season, so I don't want to say too much about Lamina. I was certainly very excited about him for a little while, and that sort of maybe faded um, as his performances sort of didn't really continue quite as well as they were before. Um, but I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to go back and watch a bunch more Lamina now. Seri, I have been paying attention to. I wrote about Fulham for Statsbomb. Um, I feel like Seri sort of captures the general situation with Fulham this season is that he's really good in possession, um, but his effort towards counter-pressing and the team's effort towards counter-pressing is really, really poor. Um, and I, I looked at sort of his um, his capacity for pressing and his efforts towards pressing uh, in previous seasons with previous clubs, and generally I feel that he should be able to, to do more out of possession than he is doing currently. Um, but I won't pretend that I haven't sort of taken a bit of a hit of confidence and I'm not slightly worried about how well he would do for Spurs. Thiago, are these players that have caught your eye previously from an analytics perspective? Yeah, b- both of them. Uh, I mean, Jeremy Calceri more because he's just a more complete player than, than Lamina. Uh, but yeah, I, I also haven't caught much of Southampton this season, luckily enough. Uh, <laughs> and... No, and everything I know about Fulham at the moment is kind of what I read from Nathan and other analytic writers that wrote the same thing. Um, so, so I'm not quite sure how they're doing this season. I know that they're they're really good players, especially Seri and Seri. Seri is a player that was great here because he was playing mid table here uh, at Passage de Ferreira, which is a team that's second, that's in the second tier now. And he he was awesome for them under Paul Fonseca, which is the chapter manager now. And Paul Fonseca at the time, when he was coaching this mid-table small team, used to talk about Seri as the next the player to go big from that team. And 
just his quality on the ball is something else. His passing quality, his quality to take people on, it's just very agile. And uh, yeah, he ended up being sold to Nice for like one or two million, something like that. And then the rest is is what we know. And in fairness to Lamina, he's still he's still rating fairly well um, comparatively in terms of tackles and interceptions for for a midfielder. So he's obviously doing some things right. He's he's well down on his dribbles um, from last year, is is my understanding. So perhaps he's performing a slightly different role this season. Um, yeah, he's he's also under Mark Hughes, so um, that's a judgment-free yeah. zone as far as I'm concerned. I think Hughes is. He's not as bad as people think, but maybe that's a discussion for another time. Um, let's let's finish the pod with uh, one more question for for Tiago, and this is from is it Costan J Shake, uh, who said, "What are the main attributes you look for in a, in youth players, and who are the standout performance performers in the Portuguese league this and last season, and are there any that could fit in at any of the top six sides in the Premier League?" So basically, do Spurs is scouting for them? <laughs> Tell them who Spurs should buy from the Portuguese league. Alright, so about youth players, I don't do much work with youth players beyond coaching. I don't do much uh, scouting work on youth players, but if you're looking at youth players, even though that question is incredibly broad and not overly specific, as I not as specific as I would like it to be, I think you should, if you're looking at youth players, you should specifically look at technical and the mental attributes that you can see in a game in terms of just like vision, match interpretation, all of that. And not necessarily the physical part, which is often more noticeable, and it's often what makes youth players stand out. But then, will depending on what age group they're playing in, will often take a hit and will won't carry over as well to to whenever they they get to the senior level. Um, about players that are standouts in the league that could move to any top six in the Premier League. So top six in the Premier League is a very very high standard. Uh, the I think the last player to move from the Portuguese league directly to a top six in the Premier League was Lindelof, so that that didn't go that well. Uh, and I don't <laughs> don't want to misadvertise anything. And yeah, and you need to. There's obviously players doing really well here, but you need to having an account just the level and their style of play and the fact like their age. And like Jonas has scored about a thousand goals for Benfica now, but he's 34, he's 34 and injury prone. You're obviously not going to uh, get him for Tottenham, right? So, I mean, you've had citable names. Definitely Alex Stelz, uh, the Porto left back, who's just about basically 3PA creation numbers, but on the left and with the actual ability to beat any, to beat a defender and to run. We'll have him. <laughs> we'll have one of those, please. So, <laughs> so that's, that's really good. I think he's, Arguably the best player in the league. He's incredible for, from set pieces and open play crosses and all of that. And he's quick and just a really strong left back. Uh, guys like Bruno Fernandes have done well. Guys like Pizzi, but he's like 29 now. Herrera, Hector Herrera, the center midfielder, Mexican center midfielder, has been connected to Spurs. He's 28, but he's a very solid all-rounder. He puts up really good defensive numbers. Um, even at Braga now, Ricardo Huerta has done as done awesome things and he has really good numbers but I uh it's if it's rare to for from someone to the from the top three to move directly to a top six in the Premier League, it's even rarer if it's if it's not coming from one of those, right? Um but yeah I think Ricardo Duarte is really good. Nakajima, the Japanese player that's that's playing mid table here and that's been recently connected to Leicester. I think that's just about his level, so not top six but 
a little lower, but he's a really good player. So there, there's, there's definitely talent here, but I, I don't think... I'm not sure it's the ideal hunting ground for a top six Premier League team, necessarily. I think it might. it's absolutely the ideal hunting ground for a team that's, de- depending if you're looking at higher positions in our league or lower, for teams from lower Premier League sides or championship sides, if you're looking at just English teams. So I think that the, the, the level gap might be a bit too big for most players, but there, there's always a couple that are massive standouts and that that could do could do a job for sure that's 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 great um i mean i must admit i stopped listening as soon as you mentioned telesh's abilities and what he could achieve on the left and i was just daydreaming but, but he's on the left you, yeah, you'd I, still have to deal with trippier you, you're aware it, of that right you know you know if we could replace one of ben davies or kieran trippier with a better player i'd be happy right now um so <laughs> yeah it ticks the box as far as i'm concerned i mean if you could take him before he plays against Braga tomorrow, that'd be lovely. So make, the, <laughs> make those make those connections quickly. Thank you. Uh, before we finish, we're going to bring back further reading, which we haven't done for a while. But um, this is the section of the podcast where we recommend articles or podcasts or anything football related that we've we've consumed recently. And we'll start off with Thiago. Is there anything that you'd like to recommend to to listeners? Oh no, I haven't read much lately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Should we come back to you? Uh, yeah, let me think. Let sure, me think. Nathan, how about you? I also have failed to prepare a further reading bit, but um, Tiago's written a lot of good stuff over the years. Um, Stats bomb, he's now writing for Goal Point, um, also on his own medium stuff, so I will have a look through some of his writing and pick out. A that, that's piece. cheating. That's, that's <laughs> such cheating. Um, oh, you, you know what? I'm gonna, can I give a, a shout out to anybody? Yeah, of course. So, if you want to look at some really interesting analytic pieces uh, in English, obviously, I think Played Off the Park does some really good stuff yeah. that I particularly like to read. And I, I thought Nathan was going to go for him, but I, I caught him first. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, if you look up at underscore P-O-T-P, uh, he's a fairly recent account that does some recruitment analysis and some yeah mostly recruitment with stats and he's really good at it and i i really enjoy his pieces so i'm gonna give him a shout out because i think that was the last piece i i i read if you want to go for something more tactically sounding uh i'd say look into that gunner's pieces even though He's a Arsenal mm. fan. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. And he's kind of more of a Betis fan now, he turned. So, he's yeah, a very if, good writer. He, he is, he's brilliant. So if you want to look into more tactical pieces, look into him at that Gunner. Gunner? I don't know how to pronounce it. It's an Arsenal fan. I think. Yeah, okay. So that, there's my shout-out. Thank you. And I will end with... Um... I, I, I've been enjoying the Indie Football Podcast, which is occasionally hosted by um, Jack Pitbrook, who we've had on this podcast before, who I think is is great. Uh, there was one episode in particular, which was after the last round of international matches, where they spoke about um, English fans and how they handle themselves abroad. And I, I felt it was a really important podcast, actually. And, and some of the things that Jack and, and Miguel were talking about were were things that are often unsaid in in in, in media outlets. Um, Jack subsequently wrote a piece which he he got slated for by by many kind of traditional English fans, but applauded 
by kind of more forward-thinking fans who don't want that culture to be a part of our, our reputation. Um, it was a very brave piece to write. I really admire Jack for doing that, and I would recommend both the article and the podcast. Um, that particular podcast episode was was really great. Um, Tiago, thank you so much for joining us and adding your expertise. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Uh, where can people Where can people find more of your work on uh, on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tiago ESTV. I don't know why I shortened my last name like that, but I thought I'd made it more simple for English people, but I'm, I'm not sure it worked, but it's there. And yeah, I haven't written in English as much, but I'll, I'll, I promise I'll try if I get the time. And if not, at least I'll, I'll keep tweeting in English. So there's that. Awesome. And there's a translate button anyway, so there's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess not. And as ever, um, you can follow Nathan on Twitter at Nathan A. Clark. Thank you very much, Nate, as ever. Cheers, mate. Uh, I want to give a little apology to Bardi because he was meant to be on this podcast and I, I, I messed around with the dates and uh, I apologise, Bardi. I'm, I'm sorry for, I'm sorry you weren't able to, to be here to, to, to join in. Although, quite frankly, you know, you've just brought it back to Italian football anyway and we were talking about Portugal this week, so maybe it wasn't <laughs> the time or place for you. Um, if you want to email us, you can do at the extra inch at thefightingcock.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at the extra inch. If you feel like leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or any other um, ratings uh, app, that would be very much appreciated. Ratings are very helpful because they allow us to... to well, it gives us weight when we're trying to attract sponsors. And sponsors are important because we'd like to be able to pay Nathan for his production work and also pay our, our guests who add so much to the podcast. So, um, so yeah, ratings would be very much appreciated. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we'll be back soon with the next one. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. Oh, that was really interesting, mate, yeah.